When the crowds were increasing, he, that's Jesus, began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who, may, uh, those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. God, we pray as we take some time this morning to think about your word. Our hope is that by the power of your spirit, we would know and understand the greatness of Christ and his work, and that you would transform us to be like him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The message this morning is in Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 36. We read the latter part of that just now. Before we get started, we need to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of what words mean, so we're going to define some terms. This isn't a complicated term. I've defined it for you before, but I always feel like it's worth repeating because if you're like me, well, I'm sorry, um, but also uh, you're forgetful. So what does the word obey mean? Or obedience? What is obedience? What is obey? So let me, let me give you the, the real complicated, theologically profound and insightful definition of obedience. Are you ready? Do what you're told. Am I missing something? Have I, is that pretty much comprehensive? Okay, but let's cover some things because you're qualifying it in your mind. And we've talked about this before, but again, it's worth repeating it. You do what you're told. By definition, you're being told to do something you don't want to do. If you wanted to do it, you wouldn't have to be told, right? I mean, that's the point. That uh, obedience is, uh, is you don't have to tell somebody to do something they were already, already planning on doing. Oh, yes, of course I'm going to do that. I enjoy that profoundly. I plan for it and save up for it. Well, obedience generally is being told to do something that left to your own devices, you'd probably say, eh, I prefer not. Or obedience is being told not to do something that if left to your own devices, you say, oh, I want to do that. So obedience is doing what you're told. So the question is, if somebody tells you to do something or to not do something, the question is, why would you obey them? Right? Isn't that a fair question? Every two-year-old asks that question. Go wash your hands before dinner. Why would I do that? That's what all two-year-olds say. Um, we all say it. We just use different terms. Anyway, 
Why would we obey somebody? So we might obey somebody if our doctor says, you need to get more exercise. Why would I obey my doctor? That guy sounds like a quack telling me to exercise. Well, but finally, you might say you get to a certain point in your life, I don't exercise, and my, my lifespan is going to be drastically reduced. Or I'm having uh, some things about my life right now that if I gain some strength, uh, my back is always going to hurt, or I'm not going to be able to do things I enjoy. So at some point, you may say, oh, I'm going to obey my doctor, not because I like the guy or I think he's smart, but because my health is suffering, so I'm going I'm to exercise. Uh, you might obey because you have a meaningful relationship with somebody. And you are weighing the consequences of telling your spouse or significant other or somebody else, no, I don't want to. And, and then you're obeying because you're just minimizing the potential pain in your future. Saying, well, it is less painful to obey than to not do what they want and deal with whatever that's going to bring. And that, so you're just negotiating in your own mind. Oh, sure, I'm going to do it because I, I care about this person and I don't want to have interpersonal conflict with them. At work, you might obey your boss. Why? You like getting paid. You like not getting fired. Maybe you obey the government because of fear, fear of, of prosecution, fear of getting a ticket, uh, fear of, let's see, where were we driving through? Because we're coming home from the coast last night, and you've got these little small towns where all of a sudden it goes from 55 to 45 for like 100 yards. I mean, it's, it's a little bit longer than that. Now, why are we slowing down? I'm not ever, I am never going to stop at your store, ever. You could make the speed limit five, and I'm not going to stop at that store. Okay, so I don't know why we're slowing down. So I'll confess. I feel like I have to confess. So I didn't. <laughs> I mean, so I kept it at 55. The cruise control told me what to do. I've got to obey the cruise control. It's set at 55. I don't want to have to reset it. And that's so why I went through 55. But as you're driving through this town, what are you thinking? What if this is the one Saturday night where this cop stayed on duty? So I still kept it at 55. But that's, so sometimes the obedience is nothing more than just fear. Well, I don't want to get in trouble. The cost of disobedience is what? So, so that's where obedience comes from. So why do we obey God? Why do we obey God? Because God tells us to do and not do lots of things. Have you noticed, if you read the Bible, he tells us to do lots of things we might not otherwise want to do. He tells us not to do other things that we might prefer to do. So what are the reasons why we would obey God? And there's lots of reasons. We obey God because we love him. We obey God because... Uh, we want to have close relationship with him. We obey God because we want to bring pleasure to him. We obey God. The Bible tells us because we fear him. We obey God for lots of different reasons. Today, Jesus is going to make quite clear this point. He is Lord. Obedience matters. So Jesus is coming into this conversation with a couple of parables, and he's going to show us, I'm not asking you to obey because I'm your favorite uh, uh, motivational speaker and I'm going to tell you to have success in your life. He's coming in this morning and saying, I'm God, so you're going to obey. That's just the way it's going to be. So obedience matters because Jesus is Lord. So he's going to tell this parable. Look at verse 24 of Luke 11. When the unclean spirit, Jesus had just cast a demon out of another, a person and had been told he did it by the power of the devil. Jesus says this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds this house swept and put in order. 
Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of that person is worse than the first. So if you're going to go on, to vaca- go on vacation, you might look for a place to stay. And you might go to a number of different websites. You might go to uh, a vacation rental site to find a home on the coast that you can stay in. Or you might go to Airbnb and look for a house or a, 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 an apartment you could rent from somebody. You might uh, go to Expedia or some other website, find a, a hotel room. If you're looking to buy a house, you're going to go, usually most people end up going to the internet and looking, well, I'm going to look at some of the houses I'm interested in getting. And what's the first thing you do when you find a property you want to look at for vacation or purpose? What's the first thing you do? You look at the pictures, don't you? You pull up all the pictures. You're swiping through. Oh, well, without, wow, okay, that's really big. I was talking to a couple. They did this, and they uh, were going to spend six months over in England. And uh, they looked at these pictures. They got this fantastic, uh, beautiful little cottage they were going to stay at, and them and their three kids. And, and they get there and realize that all of the pictures have been taken with a wide-angle lens. And when the beds were folded out, they actually all physically touched. But in the, in, the, in the photos, they looked massive. Like, wow, this is a huge cottage. What a great price. You get there and, oh, we're all going to stand shoulder to shoulder. And it, it was really, but we look at the pictures and say, oh, this is a desirable place to live. And what Jesus wants to answer here is when, when evil is looking for a place to find a home, what do we do to make sure we're not that appealing to them? So when, when, a, when an evil spirit that he's describing here jumps onto Airbnb to look for a place to find, to crash, and, 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 and you notice, bring seven other spirits, they're going to have a party all weekend, what do we need to do as believers to make, our, uh, make ourselves unappealing to this evil? And what Jesus is going to point out is this, it's how we respond to Jesus, how we respond to Jesus and his message. In fact, spiritual danger, listen, spiritual danger is found when we have God work powerfully in our lives and then we choose to disregard him. When God works powerfully in our lives at his initiation, at his intention, with his motivation, and he shows up and Boom, he does something in our life, and we say, oh, man, that was awesome. And then we disregard him. What Jesus is going to say is that puts us in a place of spiritual danger. However, blessing is found, favor is found, closeness with God and spiritual safety is found in Christ when our lives are characterized by repentance and faith, which leads us to obedience. So what happens is Jesus casts out a demon. He was accused of doing this by Satan's power. And Jesus here wants to explain to the people who are watching, your response to the work of Jesus in your life is no small thing. Jesus is not a, a, a guy on TV pitching something. And he is not a a door-to-door salesman where he just knows that, well, I just got to pitch this. I know I'm going to get, get 10 closes on this sale if I pitch this to 100 people. He is not casually disinterested in our response. He is Lord and he is God. And what he wants us to understand is our response to him and his work in our life is no small thing. In fact, I might say it this way, he is God after all. 
when we respond to him, he has an opinion. And what he wants us to recognize is uh, responding to him negatively, disregarding him, casually setting him aside, creates an opportunity for evil to do its work in our, in, in our lives. Look at, let's look at this parable just a little bit closer. He has just cast out a demon, and then it appears this person uh, has, has the demon cast out. It goes out, and the demon is looking for a place to live, uh, looking in these arid and waterless places, sort of a sense that uh, demons exist in some sense of torment, and their existence is torment until that day when they finally meet a judgment at the end of time. The demon comes back and finds the house swept and put in order. Do you remember that time that Jesus cast out the legion from the demoniac, and, and the, the demons were cast out. They went into the pigs, and they all went into the water. And the, and the demoniac, the guy who had been possessed, now was sitting there clothed in his right mind, right? Everything's good. And it's kind of describing this person this way. But, but what is missing here? What, what's going on? He finds the house swept and put in order. What's missing? An occupant. So here we have, we have this person's life, their house is now posted on Airbnb, ready for rental, available. In fact, it's swept and put into order. The problem with this person is they decided now that this evil, that God has worked powerfully in their life to cast out this evil force in their life, they're going to get their life organized. Oh, good, I can do everything. But, they, but the main thing is not that their house is in his order. The main thing needs to be what? That it, that it be occupied. That it have someone, that the home of their life have a resident so that it's no longer listed as available. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Did you know that? Did you know that your body is the, when a person who puts their faith in Jesus for salvation, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself, or in Romans, the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of Christ even, indwells us as believers, and as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within you, that place in which God is readily available. Remember in the Old Testament, this is an Old Testament reference. The temple was in Jerusalem. What if you lived in Nazareth and you wanted to talk to God? You had to go down to the temple and you had to bring a goat and you had to do a sacrifice. But as a believer, we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God at his temple. We have God residing in us as our temple. Verse 19 says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. So this person that Jesus is describing in this par parable God has worked, but the Holy Spirit is not in there. The house is not occupied. The issue isn't they didn't tidy it up enough. The issue isn't they didn't get good enough locks. The issue is they needed to have God working in their life. They needed to have the Lord work. God helped. God worked powerfully in their life. God showed up. And instead of saying, God, you are right, you are powerful, and you were seeking me, instead of in that moment repenting and saying, my life is not mine. I am turning from my old ways and turning to the Lord. And I trust Jesus for forgiveness. And as a result of trusting Jesus, I'm going to have my life line up with his ways through obedience. This person didn't do that. 
They casually disregarded the work of God in their life, and now their house is swept clean, readily available for whatever evil force might want to come and do its work. The issue here is the person didn't respond to the work of God. It's not that God didn't work. It's that they didn't respond to the work of God. And we talked about worship during communion. What response does God expect when he does a work in our life? That we repent. What is, does everybody know what repent means? It sounds like a, a fundamentalist revival all of a sudden. We're going to have a repentance meeting. Shouldn't we set up a tent? Have a tent revival. I haven't been to one of those, so I shouldn't talk about it. But <laughs> repent. It's, it's a real easy word. It means to turn. It means to turn. So uh, I'm going this way in my sin because sin is fun, and it means I get to be in charge of my life. And Jesus shows up and says, I want to save you because your sin will kill you. And, and most of us, if we're relatively intelligent and the Holy Spirit is working in our life, we'll say, you know, you're right on that one. But it's really fun. Have you noticed how fun it is? He goes, yes, but it will kill you. You're right. So realizing that our sin will kill us, not only uh, in this moment that our life will never be uh, a, a life full of vibrancy and life living in our sin, we also know it will condemn us to separation from God forever. We say, you know what? I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm going to turn from my old life and turn to Jesus. Right? Now, so I know this is hard because many of us, well, can I keep doing what I'm doing and turn to Jesus? No. You can't. Repentance means I want to be saved from this. Uh, uh, How do I illustrate this in a way? Because you're looking at me like you're angry, which means I'm doing it right. (laughs) You're lost on a desert island and you're dying and you you spell out SOS on the beach and you light it on fire. And a helicopter comes and says, okay, we'll rescue you from this island. They say, oh, I do want you to rescue me from this island, but I want to stay on the island. It's nice. The weather's great. And there's no people. It's fantastic. The person's an introvert. Right. So the person, you can't be safe from the island and stay on the island. Does that make sense? Like, we get it, Greg. You can't be safe from your sin and say, I want to, this is where I want to live. The whole idea is I'm saved from my sin to life in Christ. Now, it doesn't mean as a Christian I don't struggle with sin. Of course we do. But my life wants to be characterized when I turn and repent. I want to leave my sin, which leads to death, and turn to my Savior, which leads to Christ. And I trust that he will forgive me for my past sin, for my present sin, and for my future sin. But my hope is by trusting him and pressing that way into him, my life of sin will be behind me, and my life of holiness in Christ is in front of me. So we repent, we trust Jesus, he makes us clean, and we say, hey, since Jesus made me righteous, and since Jesus gave me life, and since gee, he gave me an inheritance with him forever, what should I do? And what do we do? We worship him through obedience. So the proper response to Jesus showing up and saving your life is to repent from your sin, trust Jesus for salvation, and say, what do you want? Repent, believe, obey. This is not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's just not very simple, not very easy. So this is the response. And this person that had the demon cast out of them, they swept up and cleaned up their life and said, great, my life is much better now. Now I can do what I want without demons involved. And the demon shows up with seven more because they never responded to the work of Jesus. An example of it. Look at verse 27. As he was saying these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Who is she talking about? Talking about Mary. 
Mary, by God's grace, was the one who bore Jesus. She uh, was conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she raised Jesus. Uh, and as a result, this woman is saying, because of Jesus, and she was moved by his words and said, man, what a fortunate woman to have had the opportunity to raise and nurture the young Messiah. And I mean, to some degree, don't we agree? That sounds like that's really cool job. And in fact, Mary agreed with that in her Magnificat. She said, all those who come after we will rise up and say she was blessed. She was blessed to be used by God that, in that way. But look how Jesus responds. He's not saying that isn't true, but he wants to make sure we don't miss the point. Verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So Jesus is making quite clear where blessing and favor is found. As blessed as Mary was to have raised and nurtured Jesus, Jesus is saying, actually, it's better when God shows up and works in your life to respond to him and say, okay, I've heard the word of God. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to obey God by faith that he saves me and has the best thing for me in my life. Jesus says, you're more blessed than Mary, having raised Jesus. The blessing in God comes from hearing the word of God, that is Jesus, repenting of our sins, turning to him in faith and saying, Lord, I want my life to be like Jesus. I want to be conformed into the image of Jesus. I want my life over time to be marked by obedience. Now I can tell you're struggling with this. Obedience nowadays is not very cool, is it? Has, has obedience ever been cool? I don't know. It seemed like it used to be this was a fundamental thing. If you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to have to you're going to have to obey him. But what we've done is it's sort of this romantic notion. Now, I'm off scripts. So I'm going to get in big trouble here. We, we sort of conceive that, well, yes, I ought to obey God. We sort of get that, but, but I should want to. There should be something moving in me that, that I should want to obey him. And, and I totally agree. I would hope that over the course of our life, we would be moved by God to desire to do things his way. Okay, I would hope for that. But what if you don't? What if you don't want to obey him? What do you do? What if you don't want to obey the red light? Because I often don't. Why do, why do I? I don't want a ticket. I don't want to get in a wreck. I don't want my kids to run red lights, and they're usually in the car with me. So what I would say is, yes, pray to the Lord that you would desire to obey him. Pray to the Lord that... God, would you make it my desire to say no to this sin that's bothering me? God, would you make it my desire to obey you, to, to give of my time and my resource and my energy to uh, work towards the glory of, of your kingdom? But in the absence of that desire, let me just give you a piece of advice. Are you ready? This is not, you're going to not like me. Do it anyway. I don't, now, if 20 years later you still don't want to obey God, then come see me and we'll, let's talk about it. But just because you don't, are you really going to live your Christian life based on what you feel like today? That doesn't make any sense to me. What we need to do is we need to just figure it out. What does God's word say? Oh, he's God? I need to do what he says. And I need to say no to the things he says no to. And I pray over the course of time that my heart and his heart will be lined up and I'll be motivated just because, I, because that's what I want to do. Until then... I will trust that he knows what he's talking about and do it anyway. All right, that's how you, uh, 
let's just move on before you, before you storm out. And you say, oh, I've already stormed out mentally. Here we go. Uh, Jesus is telling us the truth here. Um, I don't know who wrote this message, but anyway. Seth wrote this. These are really great notes, Seth. Uh, Jesus is telling us the truth. Here we go. He's God. He has expectation. He expects people who, who worship him through repentance and faith to understand what he's into and to do that or to not do that. He is God after all. He wants to, to hear what his word has to say, turn to him and say, you know what, God? Yes, your way, not my way. Your way, not my way. I'm saying no to, to my purpose and my will and in obedience saying glory to God. And I want you, God, to be the possessor of my house with your spirit. By faith, we receive salvation and the Holy Spirit. And now what we want to do is have our house, our temple, characterized by being conformed to uh, the purposes of, of God. Jesus is Lord. Obedience matters. Avoid danger and seek blessing by pursuing God's will. Blessed. This is what Jesus said in verse 20, 28. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you read something in the Bible and it really gets crossways with how you, how you like to live your life, do you really believe that he will uh, recognize and you will experience blessing when you say, okay, I, I see what Jesus is saying. This is the way it's got to be even though I don't like it. And that's a matter of trust. Jesus says, blessed are we when we hear his word uh, and keep it. All right, let's look at verses 29 through 36. Jesus is Lord. Obedience matters. Be careful. Seek the light. Be careful. Seek the light. Uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I, we went over to Bend for uh, uh, the weekend. And one of the things we did, there's a cave near Sun River called the, the Lava River Cave. And uh, we walked through it. Um, you've been through it, probably. It's it's. It's a dark hole in the ground. That's basically the whole thing. And then you walk for a mile, you turn around, come back. And uh, but it's really it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I shouldn't say that. It's, what I think a mile in there. It takes about an hour and a half, hour forty five minutes to walk to the end uh, and back. It's uh, that day in 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 Sun River is is about ninety five degrees out, but inside the cave it's about forty. It's always about forty degrees in there. And so one of the things about walking in this uh, lava tube, you got to be careful. Number one, you need a light. Because uh, the footing is, you know, it's a cave. You know, it's, it's got uneven ground. If you didn't have a light, you'd be tripping and, and falling all the time. And so you've got to be careful. And the one thing that's notable about having been in a cave, because by the time we're coming out, I think it took us about an hour and 45 minutes to get to the end and coming back. By the time you're walking back, you're just looking for the end of this thing. Like, when, are, when, is, when is this dark tunnel going to ever end? Because we came in that way. I'm pretty sure there's an opening over there. I hope there's still an opening. And as you're walking, and then all of a sudden you walk up these stairs as you get towards the opening, and then you start to see the light reflecting on the wall of the cave. Okay, there it is. We're almost there. And then all of a sudden, the temperature goes from 40 degrees to 90 degrees. Just all of a sudden, it's warm, and there's, and there's light. And what Jesus wants us to understand, there is no greater revelation of who God is than Jesus. And just like when we're in that darkness of the cave, he wants our eyes to have the ability to see where the light is, where the warmth is, and go towards that. That's what he wants us to do. Have our eyes trained to see where to go because we see where the light is. And the light is Jesus proclaiming himself as God and the revelation of God. And he says, have your eyes such 
that they, they know and recognize Jesus and go towards him through repentance and faith and obedience. Look at verse 29. When the crowds were increasing. That's fantastic. What do we expect to read here as we read verse 29? When the crowds were increasing, Jesus wrote a book. Started a podcast to really expand the, the context of his ministry. I mean, now that things are really booming, he's going to write a book and go on the lecture circuit, let other folks know the system by which you can get a big crowd to show up. Is this right? No, look what he does. I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. This generation is an evil generation. That's fantastic. This crowd is a little too big. Let's start thinning this out a bit. This, this is an evil generation. Now, he wasn't just merely annoyed with the crowd. What he wanted to do was help these, this crowd recognize their heart was in the wrong place. They were looking for the wrong thing. Their eyes weren't trained to see the light. Instead, their eyes were trained for the darkness. Jesus wants our eyes trained for the light. So he says, I want you to look for the right signs. This generation seeks a sign. What kind of signs were they looking for? Maybe another exorcism. Those are pretty cool. A lot of special effects with that. Maybe another exorcism. Maybe another blind person will be healed. That's fun to watch. Maybe, uh, maybe somebody uh, will have their, uh, their ears fixed so they can hear properly. Maybe Jesus will heal a crippled person who can't walk. That would be really interesting. Or, or, or my personal favorite, what about the guy with the unusual swelling? That's a good one. I mean, if you get a picture of that and, and post it on Facebook, you're going to get a whole bunch of likes. Everybody's going to be pretty impressed that you were there. You were there when Jesus healed the guy of the unusual swelling. You don't know? Google it. It's in there. And everybody wants to see this sign. We all want the, he want the, they want the special effects. Maybe, just maybe, and we know what we are all really hoping for, maybe he'll make lunch. Maybe he'll take a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes, or maybe, maybe this time somebody will bring a little lasagna. And, and, and he'll feed everybody, and we can just follow him around, and maybe if we're really lucky he'll turn, turn water into wine again. Now, now we're talking. We got lunch we got people being healed. we got a little bit of wine, and it's the good stuff. Now this is a Jesus we can get behind. And Jesus, that's what we're looking for. That's what they were looking for. I want a sign. I want, I want some miracles, some special effects. And Jesus says, the only sign you are going to get is the sign of Jonah. Because God wants something from his followers other than people who are looking for special effects. What is the sign of Jonah? Look what it says. End of verse 20, 29. Only sign will be given to it is the sign of Jonah. For Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to them. He was somewhat reluctant, and he didn't want to go. If you don't know the story, there's a VeggieTales movie on it. Go rent it tonight. And uh, so Jonah went, and he preached the sermon uh, in Nineveh, something like, uh, repent, in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. Something like this. It was a very, very brief sermon. So the sign of Jonah is God sends to people who need mercy a message of, we've already been talking about, what is it? Repentance, faith, obedience. 
That's, and what did the Ninevites do when Jonah so, showed up and said, um, I guess you guys are sinners or something, and, and God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Just so you know, I don't care. I'm rooting for destruction. That's what Jonah would have said. So what did the people of Nineveh do? Immediately, they repented. The sign of their repentance was fasting and putting on sackcloth. And they said, maybe, just maybe, if we turn from our evil ways, God will relent. What do we call that? That's faith. I trust that if I turn to God, he will express mercy towards us. So Jesus is telling the people of that generation, you're looking for miracles and free dinner and free wine and, and, and some special effects. What you should be looking for is a prophet who is calling you to repentance. You don't get Jonah, you have Jesus. And what he is looking for is repentance and faith and what? Obedience. Look, he actually said it out loud. I thought maybe you'd... Okay. Repentance, faith, and obedience. God wants repenters. He's looking for people who hear a message of salvation and say, you're right, God, my sin is killing me. I want life in you and you alone. I want to turn from my sin, turn to you for life, and make my life characterized by worshipful response to your commands. He gives a couple of examples of this. In verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment of that generation. The queen of, you can read about this in the Old Testament. Queen of Sheba visited Solomon because she wanted to hear his wisdom that God had given to him. And this was an example. Jesus is using her as an example of a positive response to the message of God. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, She's a woman. Did you notice that? Queen of the South. She's a woman. What else? She's a Gentile. What else? She didn't wait for Solomon to come to her. She packed up all of her belongings with a giant travel, uh, 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 what do you call a long train? Train of camels and went to Solomon to listen to him. She traveled along, and when she heard Solomon, what was her response? The Bible says her breath was taken away. That the glory of his majesty and the brilliance of his wisdom. What does Jesus say about that at the end of verse 31? Something greater than Solomon is here. A woman, Gentile, travels across the face of the earth just to hear Solomon. And Jesus says to that evil generation, you didn't even leave home. I came to you and I pursued you, and you have casual disregard for God himself in your presence, the queen of Sheba, it will stand in condemnation over you. The next example is the men of Nineveh in verse 32. Look, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment of this generation and condemn it. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. Let me summarize Jonah's sermon, if I can summarize the four chapters of Jonah. If you haven't read it, it's four chapters long. It's very short. You can read it before the sermon is done if you wanted to. Let me summarize Jonah the evangelist, not exactly the Billy Graham of the Old Testament. Nineveh, you are sinners, and God will destroy you in 40 days and send you to hell. And I'm hoping that happens. Good luck with that. That's Jonah. Isn't that terrible? No, Jonah, I'm telling you, Jonah had a bad attitude in verse 1 of chapter 1, and it went away never. It's four chapters of surly, racist stuff. 
He hates the Ninevites. He doesn't want them dead. Pay attention. He doesn't merely want them dead. He wants them to burn in hell. He makes it abundantly clear that's what he wants. Nonetheless, he goes and preaches to the Ninevites. So the evangelist shows up and says, three days in a whale, so I figure I better as well tell you the message. God says, repent. I hope you don't. And what do they do? They repent. Unbelievable. The people of Jesus' day, Jesus shows up and says, as a Jew, I want you to repent. And I myself will die for you. I will be condemned to hell on your behalf so that you don't have to, so that you can enjoy the benefits of God's kingdom. And what did the men of that generation do? Yeah, we think you're possessed by a devil. Do you see the difference? And Jesus is saying, obedience matters, repentance, faith, obedience matters because God has shown up. The Ninevites responded to a begrudging Jonah, whereas the generation that Jesus was communicating to would not respond to a loving Savior. That's what big crowd sign seekers do. They want special effects. They don't really want God to show up because Jesus is Lord and he has expectations. He wants our life to be conformed to him. Let's end with the light at the end, what we're talking about in terms of having our eyes trained. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket. That makes no sense. If you're lighting a lamp, you need the light uh, to shine. And he says here, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Just to keep this brief, what he is saying, a healthy eye sees Jesus for who he actually is. The healthy eye sees Jesus as the Savior, and the light of Christ, by faith, illuminates our hearts when we bring him into our life uh, by trusting him. So what Jesus is saying is you don't take the light and hide it. That's what that generation is trying to do with Jesus. They say, if you see me for who I am, the light of salvation made known to you, then your eyes trained for that will see it and allow that into your life. Compare this with the, the house at the beginning. It was swept clean, but it was vacant. But here, we have someone whose eyes are trained to see Jesus, and now their whole person is what? Filled with the light of Christ. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. What room there is there now for the work of evil to be done? There is none. Because the house is occupied. Therefore, be careful. Look what he said. Be careful. Lest the light in you be darkness. Meaning that you miss the light of Jesus. If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So what happens is this. When our eyes are opened by the power of the Spirit to see Jesus who he is and we repent and we trust him and we pursue him through worshipful obedience, our life is filled with his light. And now the light of Christ not only is in us, but it shines to others. And others just might see the light of Christ through us. Jesus is Lord. Obedience, is matter. uh, obedience matters, I should say. Number one, avoid danger by seeking blessing, which means respond positively to who Jesus, is, who Jesus is. Repent from our sin. Turn to him in faith and live a life conformed to his power. Finally, be careful. See the light. Recognize Jesus is not merely a magician 
or a compelling speaker or philosopher. He is God, and he has come to save those who would trust him. Okay, let me give you three applications, and we're going to close. First one's a warning, and I think that we've been, we've been doing that the whole time, but let's just finish it up. Maybe it's worth asking ourselves this question is, has God worked, have you seen God work in powerful ways in your life? Have you seen God use others to work in significant ways in your life? If you're like most of us, the answer is yes, I, I have. I've, I've seen God answer prayer. I've seen God use others to bring blessing and help during times of need. And all Jesus is saying is here, be careful. Don't disregard the powerful work of God in your life. Let, let's not be those who, even though God has worked powerfully in our lives, when he calls us to obedience in certain areas of our lives, to, to say no to some things that currently we're not saying no to, he's saying, let's not so casually disregard this God who has already done so much to work in our lives. Let's take seriously his call to live our lives the way he calls us to live. Say no to the passions of the flesh and say yes to humbly and sacrificially serving him with our life. We sort of miss the point of the Bible if we defang it. Every now and then we should read the Bible and, and the hair on the back of our neck should stand up a little bit. Maybe a, a, a trickle of sweat find its way down, the, down our neck. And, and, and that's, that's okay. That moves us to the seek the Lord and humble a confession and repentance. And, and Jesus here is warning us, I've worked powerfully in your life. Don't so casually disregard his command to live a life that is holy and obedient. Let's not be those who do that. And if we have been, well, let's stop right now and take stock and repent and say, Lord, you know my heart? I need to be changed. And this habit needs to be in my past and not in my future. Okay, next one. Uh, picked on some of you. Let's find some others to pick on. Um, Sign seekers. We all are seeking uh, signs. We, we like signs. Uh, you know, we wonder what we ought to do, and so we pray, Lord, show me a sign. What should I do? How do I make this decision? And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that for the most part. Um, that being said, here we go. Jesus is raised from the dead. We're familiar with this event, right? We've got Easter coming. It's almost Christmas, and Easter is right after. Jesus is raised from the dead. So you, need, so you need a sign? Uh, why? I, I mean, he raised from the dead. I mean, God himself died on the cross, and three days later, he raised from the dead. I know what you think. But that, that was, was like a long time ago. That was, and I wasn't even there. Easy, camper. That's the sign. That's the big one. There is, there is nothing coming that's better. There is nothing better. He is raised from the dead. He, he stepped out the tomb alive and said, who wants a piece of this action? And when he comes back, we're going to come back with him, and he wins, and we win with him. And we want a sign that he's still with us. Now, by his grace, he does. We pray, Lord, show me something of yourself. And by his kindness, by his mercy, he does do that. And I'm sure many of us have experienced that. God, I need to know you're with me today, and he shows up, and that's amazing. But the fact of the matter is, if you need a sign, he gave you one. He tossed the stone aside and stepped out and says, 
death has nothing on me. That's all the sign we're gonna, we need. Jesus is raised. There will be nothing greater. There will be nothing to move on from that. The question is, are we ready to recognize Jesus is raised from the dead. He is God in the flesh, living forever, already ruling, and one day he's going to bring the kingdom here and today live recognizing he is king and he is alive. The fancy theological word for that is obedience. Jesus is raised. Maybe we live his way because one day he's going to show up, and even Jesus said it this way, when he shows up, what is he going to find us doing? All right, last one. Or have you had enough? I'll take that as a no. Excellent. All of us from time to time ask, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever prayed that? What is God's will for my life? And, and usually when we're asking that question, we have it fairly specific. Do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I marry this person? Do I not marry this person? Uh, do I buy Diet Coke or regular? I mean, we ask asking God all the time. What, what is God's will for my life? And that's a fair thing to seek the Lord on. We ought to. So if you have specific decisions you want to make, the book of James makes it quite clear. We should seek the Lord and his wisdom when we need to make decisions. So I don't want to necessarily uh, completely say that's inappropriate. However, let me say it this way. 99% of what our life is supposed to be, we already know. And let me give you three things. I've already told you, but let me repeat it. What is God's will for my life? Repent, believe, obey. There it is. Repent. Whatever it is this week, this day, this last five minutes that you know is wrong and needs to stop, say, Lord, that's yours, not mine. That's in my past, not my future. Help me to figure that out. Believe. Trust Jesus that he forgives you and gives you his mercy. And stepping forward, what does God call me to do? What does it look like for my life today, wherever God has me, to be a life of obedience to him? This is very, very simple. It is not very complicated. It is extraordinarily difficult. Agreed? Look at uh, Galatians 5, 16, and 17. It's not on your screen. Here's what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hey, that's easy. It, in order to stop sinning, all I have to do is walk by the Spirit. It's really, really simple. By the way, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So it's not easy, is it? The Bible tells us it's not easy. It's a war, in fact, between the appetites of our flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit. What is God's will for my life? To get in the fight, to fight the battle recognizing it's a war between my flesh and the spirit and say, yes, it's a war. Yes, it's no fun not getting my way. But guess what? If Jesus gets his way in my life, that is the place of blessing. That is the place of recognizing that he is ruling and reigning in the house of my life. Jesus is Lord. Obedience matters. Avoid danger. Seek blessing. Be careful and seek the light. God, we thank you this morning for your word, even though it is a word where you didn't pull any punches with that generation and you don't pull any punches with us. We get comfortable with the nature of our life and we become accustomed to having things in our life that simply are not consistent with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
God, I would pray for those of us who are here today who are recognizing and seeing things in our life that ought not to be because they don't bring you glory. I would pray in this moment your spirit would move us to repentance and that God, you by your grace would remind us how much you love us and the mercy you have shown us through Jesus. God, we would pray that we would not be embarrassed to say to worship Jesus means we obey Jesus. And we pray, God, that you would give us a heart to worship you in that way. God, I would pray for those of us who are here this morning who don't yet have hope in Christ and forgiveness of sins, that in this moment you would move in our hearts to recognize we need forgiveness. We need hope. We need life. We have pursued our own ways our whole life, and it has left us unsatisfied and hungry. God, even now I would pray we would reach out in faith and say, Jesus, I want my life to be yours. Forgive me for my sin. Make me one of your children. God, we are grateful for how much you have worked in our lives, that each of us can count those times when you have intervened in powerful ways. God, would you also remind us not to take that for granted and to recognize that we have an opportunity to worship you day in and day out by conforming our lives to the holiness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for how much you love us, and we are overjoyed, Lord, that one day your victory will be known by all. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand up. We're going to sing one more song before we dismiss.